Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45. Today we look at um, the miracle in which Jesus walked on water. And I have to preface this by saying, uh, as you and I talked about last week actually, that this for me is one of the hardest miracles to believe for me. Um, I've told you before, I, I struggle when it comes to miracles, um, especially modern day miracles. My first reaction is always skepticism. Um, I tend to think that the Lord's natural order usually brings about what he wants to happen. And I'm repeatedly humbled in that and growing in that. But this miracle is so bizarre to me, so strange to me. And I've learned so much studying it this week about, um, well, about belief, really. Uh, it's ironic, perhaps, or maybe fitting that this miracle that I have the hardest time believing of all the miracles uh, is one in which he's really taught me a lot about belief in general. So what we'll do is read it together, and you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen, or just listen, and uh, then we'll try to figure out what in the world happened and what it means. So let's begin. Mark chapter 6 with verse 45. Immediately, by the way, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually probably more like 25,000 because it was just the men that they counted. Just after that, immediately, he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they, the, the disciples, were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, walking on the sea, walking on water, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, is that not bizarre? Am I alone in thinking that is a strange miracle and a strange accounting for the miracle? Now, think with me up to this point. We're a small crowd, so I don't usually do this, but let's actually have some interaction here. Up to this point, what supernatural things have we seen happening around Jesus? What miracles have we seen happening through Jesus's ministry? What comes to mind up to this point in Mark? Okay, that we haven't seen that yet in Mark, but yes, that is a miracle. Yeah, we just last week saw him use basically a handful of sardines and biscuits and feed 10, 20,000 people with it. Remember when he was baptized? The crowd heard the audible voice of the Father say, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then they saw a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit float down in the form of a dove 
Have you ever seen that happen in a baptism service? No? What else have we seen? A lot of healings. Uh, Various types of healings, tons of healings. Sometimes they just generally say, he just healed everybody, like in the crowd, just healed people. What else? Yeah, he calmed a storm, and that's important to this one. But yeah, there was another situation. He was asleep, and the disciples were freaking out in the boat because the storm was going to overtake them, they thought. And he just spoke a word, and everything calmed down. He also cast out many demons, and that took on some spectacular forms when the demons were through the people they were possessing, just shrieking and screaming, and Jesus told them to be quiet and get out, and they did. One time, a guy was so eaten up with demons that Jesus cast out all the demons into a big herd of pigs, and they ran off into the water. It's crazy stuff. I mean, bizarre, crazy stuff. Even just his teaching was miraculous. He taught with authority that astounded everybody. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they taught with authority, maybe kind of like I do, the authority just of having studied the Bible. Jesus talked as though he wrote the Bible. Jesus taught as though he was God himself. So it's unbelievable what all is going on with Jesus' ministry. Uh, Almost literally unbelievable. And then we get to this miracle, and he walks on water. Now, I I want you to really think through this with me, okay? We need to really think through this. Let's kind of work through the passage with our thinking caps on and try to picture this. Just right now, just visualize in your mind. Okay, so starting back at verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. So he had just miraculously fed thousands upon thousands of people. And he tells the disciples, get into the boat and, and head on without me. And it says, uh, he had them go while he dismissed the crowd. So here's Jesus trying to dismiss thousands and thousands of people. I don't know what that must have even looked like. But he's just sort of saying, all right, show's over, nothing to see here. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So Jesus goes off by himself for a little prayer time, a little alone time. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So Jesus apparently is able to see the boat in the sea from where he is up high on the mountain, and they're just not getting anywhere. The wind is too strong working against them, and and he sees that they're still, he's been praying, and now it's late, and they're still trying to work their way across the sea. I think it was about four miles from the little bit of research that I did. And about the fourth watch of the night, that would have been somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. In the middle of the sea, the windy sea, he came to them. What would that have looked like? In your mind's eye, what are you picturing when you're picturing Jesus walking on this choppy, wind-tossed sea? Is he sort of riding hills of glass as the swells, you know, rise and fall? Or did he somehow pave like a straight way through it so where he was walking it was level? Did he have to like use his arms to keep his balance? Or did he just stride confidently right across? Did he get wet at all? 
or was it as if he was covered in some kind of miracle um, Rain-X that you put on your windshields, you know, and water would just beat up and fall away? Like, did his, did his clothes not even get wet? Was his hair even blowing in the wind, or was it just like he was just... Maybe he didn't even move his arms or leg. Maybe he just sort of floated across. I mean, what could it have possibly looked like? And then verse 40, it's bizarre enough. And then look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway. Well, we read half of it. Let's look at the full verse. The wind was against them. Uh, he came to them walking on the sea. And I think this last part is more bizarre than the first part. He meant to pass by them. He didn't even mean for them to see him. This miracle had no purpose for the disciples to be like, oh, Jesus is awesome. You know, if this were in the form of a joke, why did Jesus cross the sea? To get to the other side. Only. He meant to pass by the disciples and just go to the other side. Maybe he was going to play a joke on them and they were going to finally get there exhausted. And he was going to be like sitting back by the fire and be like, what took you guys so long? There's no explanation given for why he is just going to walk through the water and pass by them. Was he like sneaking? Was like he would get behind some of the swells of the water so they couldn't see him and he was sneaking across? Verse 49. But they saw him. They spotted him. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Okay, so however he was getting across the water, they spot him, and they just start freaking out, terrified. And he, I don't know how far away from the boat he must have been, but he calls to them, oh, Just settle down, it's just me walking on the water. Don't be afraid. And then he strides over and hops into the boat with them. And immediately everything calms down. And so there, picture them all in the moonlight. The sea is now calm. The winds have died down. And they're just sitting there looking at each other. Trying to figure out what just happened here. Why didn't Jesus walk out there and help them? He wasn't going to even get in the boat. He was going to pass by. Why didn't he calm the winds for them while he was still up on the mountain so they could get by? I mean, obviously he had that power. He calmed the storm earlier. He was walking on water. He could have maybe got behind the boat and pushed to give him a little help. But he didn't do any of that. Why was he walking across the water anyway? Why didn't he, if he's this, got this much miracle power, why didn't he fly like Superman across or just teleport himself across? Or make there become here. Instead of him even having to move. Just make all geography of the universe move. And the other side of the sea be where he was already at. I don't know. <laughs> I've got no answers. Nothing is explained about this. Nothing is explained. What we do have, what is explained at first reading, to me, makes no sense whatsoever. It says, and they were utterly astounded at the end of verse 51. Why? Because they just saw Jesus walk on the sea? No. Verse 52, for or because they did not understand about the loaves. 
they were utterly astounded because they didn't get the previous miracle about the loaves, the bread that he miraculously multiplied. But their hearts were hardened. So I think that verse 52 is sort of the key that unlocks understanding what in the world's going on here. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. It's the only explanation we get, and the rest is just left to us. This happened. Here you go. Now, to understand this, we've got to leave our passage and go and look at John's coverage. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four different perspectives on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, and they cover much of the same material. Some of them cover things that others don't. Uh, there's some overlap and some, some differences in terms of coverage. Now, this particular miracle, walking on the water, is only covered in Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke doesn't talk about it. Interestingly, the feeding of the 5,000 is maybe the only miracle that's covered in all four. There's something especially important about the feeding of the 5,000. But to understand what he means in verse 52, let's go to John chapter 6. Now, I don't have this to be projected, so you'll want to flip over there. And I've been debating back and forth if, I should just, if we should just read this whole passage or if that's too much to ask of your attention span because it's a lengthy passage. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know how else to get to it without reading the whole passage. So can we sort of sit up straight? Take a deep breath. We're about to take on a lengthy passage of scripture here, uh, but it's really good. Okay, I promise. So if you can focus with me, let's just read John's account. This is after Jesus walks on the water. Okay, and I think it's going to help us understand what's going on. It says, after he walks on the water, it's the next day, the crowd finds them and returns. In uh, John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. Do I really want to read all this? I don't want to lose you guys. I have to. I have to read it all. Okay, I've got somebody's support in this area. I couldn't hear who it was. Okay. On the next day, after they walked on the water, he, Jesus did, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum to seek Jesus. Okay. In other words, the crowds woke up the next day and they're like, where'd Jesus go? He's our meal ticket. Maybe he's got breakfast for us, miracle breakfast. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, I walked on the water. No, he doesn't even mention that he walked on the water to get over there. It's not relevant. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? 
Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So, lest you may have lost track of the train of thought there, they really want some bread. And Jesus says, you're not coming here because you believe you saw a sign that I'm the Messiah. You just want some bread. You're just coming here because you want some food. And he's not having it. He's not giving them another miracle meal. He says, no, you need to be thinking beyond physical bread. You need to realize that standing in front of you is the bread with a capital B, the bread of life. And then these people still don't get it. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. We're really hungry. Why are you talking about it? Give it to us. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Yeah, I think we can stop there, but he goes on all the way through that chapter just trying to explain to them the loaves were always meant to point you to the eternal life that I can offer you. The bread that I miraculously multiplied was, was not the thing in of itself. It was a pointer to the bread for eternal life, me. You've seen me, you've received this miracle bread, but you still don't believe in me. You got the bread that satisfied you for yesterday, but you still have not gotten the bread of life that will satisfy your soul forever. They didn't understand about the loaves. Apparently the disciples hadn't understood about the loaves either. And that's why they were afraid in the windy sea. And when they saw what they thought was a ghost and they were astounded when it was Jesus, they hadn't understood still who he was. Now, this is really interesting. It means that all of these miracles, for one thing, all of them were about pointing people to believe in Jesus Christ. Not just his miracles, but him himself as the bread of life. It means that one can receive a miracle from Jesus and yet still not believe in him. It means that one can see Jesus do many great things and yet still not believe in him. And when you think about his disciples, it means that you can even have responded somewhat to a call from Jesus and, and have gotten engaged in Christianity and still not believe in him. It means that you can even be ministering in Jesus' name as the disciples had. You remember before he fed the thousands, he had just sent the disciples out to do uh, authoritative ministry and come back. And yet they still weren't quite getting it. They still didn't believe in him as the bread of life. Now, if all that is true, we have to pause and realize that that means it is very possible for us to even be sitting here on a Sunday morning, perhaps even be engaged in ministry in the church and outside of the church, 
and still not believe in Jesus Christ as the bread of life. To have high regard for him, but still not believe in him as the bread of life. To think well of him and still not believe in him as the bread of life. To still not understand about the loaves, so to speak. The implication back in Mark is that if they had understood about the loaves, they would not have been afraid and they would not have been astounded. They would have been at peace and they would have had faith. You know, there's other interesting parallels here and I won't go too in-depth with them, but in Matthew's version of this story which is another fascinating element of all of it. In Matthew's version, Peter sees Jesus on the water and he says, if that's really you, then command me and I'll walk on the water out to you. And Jesus says, come on. (laughs) And Peter does, and he actually does it for a little bit. He walks on the water. But then it says he sees the wind and the waves and he starts to sink and Jesus reaches down and grabs him. And look at what Jesus said, or listen, you don't need to flip to it, but listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think in that question is the notion of, didn't you understand about the loaves? Don't you understand who I am? You don't need to be afraid of the wind and the waves. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You you mentioned when he calmed the storm back in Mark. Do you remember what he said to the disciples when that happened? That was in Mark chapter 4. He's sleeping in the hull of the boat and the disciples are afraid they're going to die. And they go down and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're all about to die? And he comes up and he calms the storm and he turns to him and says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? All you've seen me do, all these miracles, has it still not brought about the kind of faith I'm trying to bring about in you? Jesus' purpose was not to calm the storms It was for his disciples to be calm in the storm because they believed in him as the bread of life. He was going to walk right by them and not help them in the wind. Because in his mind, they didn't need help with the wind. They needed help to believe in him. When he was asleep in the boat, he was just going to continue napping because he didn't see it as a priority to calm the storm. He saw it as a priority to teach his disciples to trust in him. So all of this means that the true miracle wasn't the loaves and wasn't the fish and it's not the walking on the water. The true miracle is this sort of belief in Jesus Christ. The true miracle is for God to overcome the hardness of our hearts and enable us to believe in Jesus Christ as the bread of life. To believe in Jesus Christ to such a degree that we can be calm in the midst of storms. Not because we're confident with the, that with the wave of a miracle wand, storms will calm down, but that we're confident that we have Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And that even if the storm crushes us and kills us, we're not undone because in Jesus we have eternal life. Peter is a very interesting part of this story. Almost everybody agrees 
that Mark wrote his gospel based on Peter's firsthand accounts of what happened. Mark wasn't there, but he was close with Peter. It's very interesting that if indeed this was Peter's account that Mark is recording, that it doesn't mention Peter walking out into the water. And I don't know why. I'm not even going to really try to guess. I just think that's an interesting facet. But we do know about Peter that as close as he was with Jesus and as powerful as he was as a leader in the early church, for most of the time that he was with Jesus, he, he didn't get it. And we know that right up to the end, he still didn't get it. Remember, he's the disciple that denied Jesus three times when Jesus was being tried, about to be crucified. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that, G, that Peter got it. He truly believed in Jesus as the bread of life. And so I want to close by reading to you the beginning of 1 Peter. This is Peter's letter to some believers. And think of Peter. Remember, he was in that boat uh, in the stormy sea when they thought they were going to die. And Jesus came out and calmed it and said, why didn't you believe? He was in that boat when they were working against the wind and they saw Jesus walking by and they didn't understand about the loaves. He denied Jesus three times as he was about to be crucified. And then after the resurrection, he was totally changed and transformed. And this is what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Listen to the testimony of a changed man who truly came to believe in Jesus Christ as the bread of life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now Peter has a living hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, here Peter has a totally transformed notion of what true treasure really is. It's not the paltry hopes of this world that come and go. It's the living hope of Jesus Christ raised from the dead. It's not the, the bread with a lowercase b, it's the bread of life with a capital B. Look at his transformed understanding of hardships in life. They're not trials that you need to escape from. They're trials that test out, prove out, refine your faith, which is more precious than gold, more precious than anything. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory 
Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now my hope for myself and my family and you, my church, is not that you receive miracles from Jesus and enjoy them. It's not that you see Jesus do cool things. It's not even that you get engaged with Christianity. It's not even that you get engaged with ministry. It's that you believe in Jesus Christ as the bread of life. And that all the trials in your life only function to prove and refine and test that faith. So that as time goes by, your faith shines brighter and brighter and brighter. Your heart gets softer and softer and softer. The things of this world grow less and less and less important. And you are able to be more and more and more at peace. Even when there's a storm raging all around you. That's my prayer. That seems to be the meaning of that bizarre miracle in Mark chapter 6. So let us not be like the disciples. Let us understand about the loaves. Let us not be hardened. Let us believe in Jesus Christ as the bread of life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I'm so grateful for the, the almost raw strangeness of it sometimes because it makes us have to engage with it and think. Lord, I pray that you would please soften our hearts, each and every one of us. Carve out the calloused hardness that stops us from believing in Jesus Christ as the bread of life. Help us to understand about the loaves. Help us to be at peace at all times, no matter what. Not because our circumstances are okay, but because we have Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.